Let's open our Bible to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10. So we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. And we started out looking at Nehemiah and the children of Israel that had returned from captivity who were working to rebuild Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. They're rebuilding the wall. And we haven't gone verse by verse through Nehemiah. We've kind of taken a survey of the chapters. We got to chapter 8 last week. And then when we get to chapter 9, we see that there is this, this long prayer. It's, it's really kind of a recounting of the history of Israel. So it's kind of the, the priesthood recounting to the people how God had dealt with the nation and that dealing of God had brought them all the way to captivity and now had brought them back out of captivity and back into the land. When we get to chapter 10, there's a list, there's a document, and all of these men, all of these leaders sign this document. And they are making a corporate commitment binding themselves to God. In fact, let me, let me read to you from verse 29. It says, These joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. They put themselves under a curse. And the curse was, if we, if we do not walk with you, God, then let this come upon us. Now what, I, what I want to do is I want to begin in verse 32, and we're going to read from verse 32 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 39. So Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 32. So this is the context. They've gathered, they've signed this, sealed this, and made this covenant with God, and made a commitment and a covenant to walk in the ways of God and the statutes of God. Verse 32, also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feast, for the holy things, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people to bring the wood for offering into the house of our God according to our fathers' houses at the appointed times year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of all trees year by year to the house of the Lord to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, to bring the firstfruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, the new wine and the oil, to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive tithes in all our farming communities, and the priests, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with 
the Levites, and when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of our storehouse. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, of the new wine, and the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary and where, are, where the priests are, who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are. And we will not neglect the house of our God. So we see in these verses that the people established ordinances and they purposed to give separate and above their tithe to provide those things that were needed for the service of the house of God. And so Nehemiah records here all of these things, all of these ways that they had made these ordinances and purposed to give. So we're going to talk about giving today. It's not a subject that I especially like to talk about because it's not a subject that is especially popular. But I think there's a huge misunderstanding, and this is why I try to encourage you guys week in and week out not to see the giving of your tithe as someone taking something from you, but it is your act of worship. You are actively freely giving back to God because God has so actively and freely given to you. So let's pray. Father, I pray that today, Lord, as we look at your word, Lord, you recorded this in your word and you recorded it for us. And Father, help us to find your heart in all of this so that we can find our heart and give our hearts to you in worship, whether it's giving our material wealth or whether it's giving our love, our forgiveness, our mercy, our grace to others, even as we have received it from you. Father, teach us the importance, the vital importance of being like Christ, of being a people that give freely, that live freely and give themselves to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the people established and they purposed to give to the house of God. So the people gave above and beyond the normal giving. And it says they did this so that the Lord, so that the house of the Lord would have everything that it needed. So we don't have showbread. Showbread was literally loaves of bread that sat on the altar as an offering to God, but we do have communion, and we're going to come to the table, and we're going we're to take communion later on. Well, guess what? That communion comes from somewhere. It's bought in a store. The juice that fills those cups is bought somewhere. Somebody has to fill them. We've got to have cups to put it in. We've got to There's electricity here today so that you can read your Bible. There's there's heat in here so that you're more comfortable. There's nice padded chairs so that my long preaching doesn't wound you too much. There are things that are required. Now, we live in a modern time. They're very modern. They didn't have electricity back then. They didn't have, but, but they still had the same type thing. Somebody had to, the wheat had to come from somewhere to bake the bread. 
The grapes had to come from somewhere. They had to be pressed to create the wine that was used in, in all the offerings. The animals had to come from somewhere, and somebody had to kill them, and somebody had to dress them, and somebody had to offer them, and somebody had to prepare them. And there had to be wood, and there had to be water, and there had to be all sorts of things, and there was all sorts of work. It not only required labor, but it required resources. And Nehemiah saw what was happening. He says, man, everything is in disrepair. So they began to set up systems consistent with what God had shown them in the law. But remember, they're 70 years on the other side of captivity, and they're now trying to rebuild what has been destroyed. So they set up this system of giving above the normal giving to be able to provide for and maintain the house of God and the service and the work that goes on in the house of God so that all of those things necessary would be supplied. The repair and the maintenance and the supply for the house of God didn't come from the tithe that came from giving that was above and beyond. So we see that in these verses. Here's another thing that we see, that the people made ordinances, it says, and they purposed to bring the first fruits of all their increase. It says the first fruits of the ground and the first fruits of all the fruit from all the trees. And they would bring the first fruits. Why is it called the first fruits? Because the first fruits belong to God. Where did that come from? Well, that came from way back. That was always the case. The first Fruit, the first sheave of wheat, the first sheave of barley, the first grapes, the first figs, the first olives, the first oil press, the first wine that was made, the first of everything, the first born son was offered to the Lord. That's why Jesus was taken to the temple to be dedicated. It was in keeping with the law. He was the firstborn of Mary. And the law said, take your firstborn and offer him to the Lord. We saw that with Hannah. When Hannah prayed and begged God for a child, and she said, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him to you. And her firstborn child, what did she do? As soon as he was weaned, she took him to the tabernacle, and Samuel grew up. There in the tabernacle. And so the first fruits belong to the Lord. And so they purpose to bring that into the house of God to the priest who minister in the house of the Lord. So the people supported the priest serving in the house of God from their own sustenance and their own labor so that the work of the house of God would continue. Today you give to Christ Fellowship to support the work of your pastors who are called to do the work of the house of God, specifically to oversee and equip you for the work of ministry and the gospel, of making disciples, of serving and building up one another inside the church, of serving those outside the church in our communities. I didn't track my hours, though I was supposed to, and when I worked and am still working to bring recovery from the flood. All the volunteers were supposed to track their hours. It would, it would be difficult for me. Well, it may be easy in some ways because there were long stretches of time when I literally spent all my days. I mean, I would get up and I would work for flood recovery. And I'm not talking shoveling dirt. Uh, it was establishing the 
furniture stores and the collection and distribution of furniture, getting people to run that and raising money. And there were just all sorts of things. It's one of the reasons Christ Fellowship got that plaque. How was I able to do that? Well, I was able to do that because you give your tithe and you enable Caleb and I as your pastors who work in this work of ministry in this house of God. It enables us to have the time to do that. It enabled me to spend all of my time working on flood recovery along with the other things. And so your giving really enables me to serve the community. And I want to say thank you. But I want you to understand, you're not giving to me. You're giving to God. That ability to serve the community has, has brought dividends. I want you to know that your investment into the work of God and into the kingdom is paying dividends. Your faithfulness in giving to God in allowing this church to have full-time ministers to do the work of ministry is paid dividends. It's why we have someone that has paid to build a building next door. It's not because we went out and asked, would you please build us a building? Somebody came to us and said, would you allow me to build a building on your property? Now, come on. And, and understand, that's not because I'm a great guy. But it is because the people of Christ Fellowship who faithfully give have enabled us to work in this community and serve this community in a way, and God has used that service to move on the hearts of people to the point that somebody wants to build a 4,000-square-foot building on our lot here, and they want the church to own it. Because the church, the people of God at Christ Fellowship have demonstrated a willingness and a commitment to this community. And that's exactly what Miss Marge Tripp told me. She said, I, I want to do this because your church has demonstrated a commitment to this community. And I know that I can trust you and your church to use that building to serve this community because you guys have done it as long as I can see. And that's not, that's not saying anything about me. That says something about Clifford Staten, who founded this church in 1977. This is our 40th year. That says something about Jimmy Bennon, who served here faithfully for 20 years. That says something about all of us who continue to do the work of ministry through this body called Christ Fellowship Church. I want you to understand that your act of worship and giving back to the Lord is important. It's important to God. It's important to the work of ministry in this community. And we are seeing God honoring that faithfulness by returning to us in ways that we, I would never have been able to comprehend or guess. Truly, God works in mysterious ways. So your support for the work here is important. We see something else here. We see that they brought the tithe. The word tithe simply means tenth. 
So a tithe is 10%. The people brought the tithe of the land to the Levites and all the communities. So what happened is you had a temple. It was in Jerusalem. And you had priests and Levites who lived all over the land, but they had a time, a schedule of serving. And so when they would live at the temple and serve at the temple... Things were brought to the temple so they'd have food to eat, so they would be able to live and function and do the work in the temple as God prescribed. Then when their time of working there was over, they'd go back to their communities, but the people were to bring the tithe to the Levites throughout the land in the community. And then the Levites would receive that tithe. They used it to live on, but they would take a tithe, a tenth of that, So the Levite who got 10 bushels of grain as a tithe given to him, he would take one of those 10 bushels and he'd take it back up to Jerusalem to the house of God. You pay us through the tithe, but God says we are, as pastors, we are to give a tithe back to the church. That's why pastors who rightly divide the word of God will pay a tithe. They don't say, well, the church is supposed to pay me. I'm not supposed to pay the church. No, you're not. The church isn't paying you and you're not paying the church. The church is giving back to God and God is using that to bless you. And you are from that increase. I am as a pastor from that increase supposed to give back to God a tithe of the tithe. And we do that because that's what we see in the Word of God. So from the provision that comes to us through your tithe, we give a tithe of what we receive back into CFC. Just like the Levites received the tithe, but then they gave a tithe back to God. All this giving takes place so that the house of our God is not neglected. That's what we see in the last verse. We will not neglect the house of our God. We... As believers, now we understand this. The house of God is not simply a building, but we are the house of God. You are the house of God. Paul says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we as believers are his house. Your giving is providing much more than the physical maintenance or operation of a building. It is providing for the equipping work we pastors are called to do. The call to be equipping you in the gospel for the work of ministry. The call to build up the body of Christ. To equip you to build up the body of Christ in love. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 through 14. Paul writes this to to the believers in Corinth. He says, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the holy things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So just as Paul expressed that the Lord commanded that those who preach the gospel in a vocational calling should live from the gospel, that's what I do. Preaching the gospel, being a pastor is my vocation, and I get my living from that vocation. And Paul says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Paul called this a rite that others partake of, 
Though if you read, and we don't have time to study his letter to the Corinthians, if you read that in context, though, Paul didn't, Paul didn't take that right. Paul said, I've chosen not to take that right. The Lord commanded, but I've chosen not to do that. Instead, I'm a tent maker. I'm a traveling evangelist, and I've chosen not to do that, though it is what the Lord has commanded. So we have liberty. And one of the reasons you pay your tithe is so that your pastors can live from the gospel. The ultimate reason you pay your tithe is because it is an act of worship, rightly do your God. Why? Because the tithe belongs to him. So let's look at um, some scripture here. So when we don't pay our tithe and our offerings, the Bible teaches that we are robbing God. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. I'm not going to read all of that because of time, but I want you to mark that. I want you to go back and read those verses. And in these verses, we see some important truth. Here's one thing we see. God is the Lord, and He does not change. So the nature and the character and the grace of God is constant. In fact, when he says that in Malachi, he says that, and he says, this is why, Jacob, you're not consumed. Why are we not consumed today? Is it because we're not sinful? Oh, no. If, if God were going to judge my sinfulness and give me what I am due, I promise you, church, I would be consumed by God's wrath. I... I have nothing from God because I deserved it. Anything and everything I have from God has nothing to do with what I deserve because I don't deserve it. And this is what he tells Israel. He says, you have robbed me. I am the Lord. I do not change. What I require, I still require. I am constant, which is why you're not consumed. Not only do I require your tithe and your offerings, you're guilty, you're a robber, but the reason you're not consumed is because I don't change. The same constancy that says the tithe belongs to me is the same constancy of grace that says I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I will not consume you. Though he says you are cursed with the curse. We see that Israel had departed from God and they were called to return to God, and their departure and their return involved the giving of the tithe and offerings to God. They were called robbers because they had not given the tithe to God, and that, and that withholding from God had brought a curse on them. That's what God says, you're cursed with a curse. And God commanded, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then God challenged them to prove him in this. He said, prove me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. Bring all the tithes and all the offerings into the house. Prove me in this and see if I will not pour out a blessing and rebuke the devourer through their willing obedience in giving back to God the tithe and the offering. And it wasn't because God needed the money. It was the principle that this is your worship. God dictates our worship. We don't determine how we worship. God says, this is how you worship. And our giving back to God is a matter of worship. 
So it brings us to this question, are we bound by the law to pay the tithe today? A record of Jesus mentioning the tithe is found two places in the New Testament. Jesus is recorded in Matthew 23, 23, and in Luke eleven forty two. There are actually records of the same incident, the same conversation. Let me read to you from Matthew 23, 23. Jesus speaking, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. You guys know what mint, anise, and cumin are? The, the Pharisees pay tithes down to the right number of leaves from their mint, their herb gardens, the right number of seeds from their anise and cumin plants. You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He didn't say, oh, don't worry about the tithe. We're in the New Testament now. We're under the New Covenant now. He said, no, these you ought to have done. So Jesus affirmed giving the tithe back to God. Why? Because Jesus was affirming our worship to God. But now let's answer our question. Are we bound by the law to pay the tithe today? And I will, this is my opinion, technically we are not bound by the law to give a tithe. The truth is that we are now bound by a higher standard of giving. The tithe and offerings was under the old covenant, the minimum standards for giving in that covenant. So if we're not bound under the law to give the tithe, then, then what are we bound by? Well, let's think about Jesus. Jesus in the new covenant calls us to a much higher and a more generous standard. He said we should not leave the tithe and offerings undone, but now... He has set a higher standard by freely giving himself for our redemption. You understand, Jesus didn't come and just write a big check for your redemption because he could afford it. Jesus came and he gave all. He gave himself for your redemption. He gave what money could not buy. He gave what no check could ever cover. He gave what the riches of earth and all the created universe could never exceed, he gave himself. So the new covenant standard of giving is very different than that under the old. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. I'm not going to read these to you, but I want you to reference them. I'm going to hit some high points here. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul lays out, what giving looks like now in the New Testament church under the New Covenant. Well, I read the one scripture to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. We are to give as God has prospered us. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, we are to give freely, willing, in our ability, within our ability, and beyond our ability. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, we are to give according to the pattern of Christ, not out of command, 
but out of sincerity of heart. Verse 6 of chapter 9, 2 Corinthians, we are to give bountifully, not sparingly. Chapter 9, verses 5 and 7, we are to give as we each purpose in our heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, but cheerfully. Chapter 9, verse 8, we are to give trusting that God will provide for us. Verse 10, we are to give believing that God will supply and multiply the seed we have sown. In verse 11, we are to give knowing that we will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus said, He said it this way, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In verse 24, He said, You cannot serve God and money. Jesus also taught us that with the same measure we use, it will be measured back. Listen to the words of Jesus recorded for us in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus said this, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, I want to I draw your attention to something there. I want you to notice that Jesus does not qualify that statement. What I mean by that is Jesus doesn't say that he's only talking about money. In fact, Jesus was giving a principle there that applies to every area of giving you can imagine. It applies to whatever we give, whenever we give. The truth of giving applies to much more than the amount of money we give to God. How we give is to govern our life in everything. We are to give from our heart in the measure that we want God to measure back to us. So in giving your love to others, give it in the measure that you want God to give His love to you. In giving mercy to others, give it in the measure that you want the mercy of God to be measured back to you. In giving your forgiveness to others, give it in the measure that you want God to forgive you. Grace, give grace in the measure that you want grace to be given to you. And yes, in giving your money to support the work of God, you are to give freely and generously and cheerfully in faith in the measure that you want God to supply and to provide for you. It is a principle. This is not name it and claim it. This is not prosperity theology. This is what the Bible teaches us. This is the basic understanding of why we give and how we give and what the attitude of our heart is to be in giving. We're to give knowing this truth taught to us by Jesus himself that as you give, it will be given to you. Good measure. Listen to the words of Jesus. Good measure. Press down. Shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That is the standard of giving 
now in Christ. God is not looking at a percentage. He's looking at our heart. How we treasure God in our heart will determine our heart to give back to Him and our heart to give to those around us. So the remedy, there's fear involved in giving. I can remember <clears throat> when I was as poor as dirt and, and we, I wanted to tithe, but I said, we can't afford to tithe. We can't even pay our bills. How, how am I going to tithe? So finally, it's like I, I went to my wife. You know, she's the numbers person. She likes to crunch numbers and keep track of all those decimal places. I said, okay, babe, we, we got to start tithing. She looked at me like I just lost my ever-loving mind. Uh, do you know we can't pay the bills? I said, well, here's the thing. I know it doesn't make a lot of logical sense, but there might be a reason why we're having trouble paying the bills. We've got to put God first. And, and we worked through that, and we, we started, and we said, okay, let's, let's just start. Let's just start where we can. It's going to be a sacrifice, but let's trust God. And little by little, I mean, God proved him. He, God did exactly what he told the children of Israel in Malachi. He said, prove me in this, and I'll open the windows of heaven. Church, to this day, I cannot explain to you how in the world we ever made it in those days, but, but God just supernaturally, he just provided. I, I, it doesn't make, to me, it doesn't even make math sense, much less logical sense. But God proved himself. He is faithful. So there is fear involved. And if giving generously to God creates fear in you concerning your finances, or maybe it's not, maybe, maybe the easiest thing for you to do is write a check. You know that's true for some people? The easiest thing for them to do is write a check. They'd rather write a check than anything else. But that's not the only type of giving. It may create fear in you to think about how generously God wants you to give your love, how generously God wants you to give your forgiveness to those that have hurt you and harmed you and abused you, how generously God wants you to have grace and mercy toward those who you don't think deserve your grace and mercy. But we are always constantly reminded, guess what? We don't, I don't deserve His grace and mercy. But God gave it to me anyways even when I didn't deserve it. And Jesus took in my stead what he absolutely did not deserve. He did not deserve to die. He did not deserve to be beaten. He did not deserve to be shamed and treated like a common criminal and a common sinner. He didn't deserve that. But he took that because you and I deserved it. And he took it in our stead. So giving can create fear in all sorts of ways, whether it's financial or your emotional investment in other people. So what do we do? Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to begin to pray and to ask God to reveal His love for you and His desire for you to have His peace concerning all things. He's given us wonderful promises concerning His love and His peace. Jot these down, 1 John 4.18 and Philippians 4.6-8. These are two powerful promises concerning His love. 1 John says, perfect love casts out all fear. If you're fearful about giving to God, whether it's your money or love and grace and mercy to others, if you're fearful, it's because you have not come to really understand 
God's perfect and complete love for you. I've had people tell me, yeah, Pastor Jeff, you don't know what I've done, though. I, I, I don't have to know what you've done. God knows what you did, and he still sent Jesus to die for you. There is hope. There is forgiveness. There is restoration. There is healing in Jesus. And God gives us his word and his promises to help us overcome that fear and to help us have peace that passes understanding when he says in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and thanks, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and guard your minds through Christ Jesus. Pray that he will give to you the grace to trust him to supply all of your needs with abundance so that you can be freely willing as you cheerfully and generously give out of a heart that treasures him more than any earthly thing or more than any earthly treasure. Tithing is a bare minimum. Begin there, but don't limit God there. Trust God to bring you into greater faith as you trust him for the grace to give according to your ability and beyond, spiritually, emotionally, and materially. This is not just about finances, folks. This is about you giving all to God for His glory as an act of worship. We're in Romans chapter 12 on Wednesday nights. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. And in this whole process, we are called to examine our heart. Most importantly, ask God to honestly reveal to you where your treasure is, where your heart truly is. Does your heart treasure God above all else? That's an important question for you to ask yourself. Is your desire to serve God or is it to serve earthly things? Or as Jesus said, is it to serve money? Because you can't serve God and money. I pray your heart treasures God above all else. I pray your heart is to serve God with fullness of joy. To cheerfully give yourself. To cheerfully, joyfully give your time, your talent, and your treasure to God. To seek the glory of his kingdom that's being established on earth in his church. I pray your heart is for this congregation, for Christ fellowship, and for this and the surrounding communities, that your desire is that God would use you as a light and a witness to show forth his glory to those who still live in darkness, who have no hope, who don't know Jesus. that we would desire the house of God, the church of God, the work of God, and the glory of God to no longer, to not be neglected, but attended to with bountiful and willing and joy-filled hearts. When I say the church of God, I, I don't mean just Christ's fellowship. We are blessed. We are blessed abundantly in so many ways. But we can't just talk about Christ's fellowship because Christ's fellowship is part of something greater. Look at our nation. 
Look at the things that have transpired over this last year. Look at the turmoil. Look at the fear. Look at, look at everything that's happening. And we have to ask ourselves, where is the church in all of this? The church, the house of God, there have been things neglected. And we can't solve all the world's problems. And we can't certainly solve the nation's problems. And we, we can't even solve the problems of our city. But guess what? We can purpose to be a congregation, to be a church, to be a body that is faithful. We can purpose that we will not neglect the house of God and the work of God here and that we will be committed to do the best we can and let that be a witness to those around us that we will pray for and encourage other pastors and other churches to take heart, to stand up and to be courageous and to speak the truth in love and not to worry about what people are going to think about them but to be more concerned about what God has to say and what God has declared. We can do that. So I leave you with the words of Jesus as we close. And worship team, you guys can come up. We're going to get ready and come to the table in just a moment. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to invite you to come to the table of the Lord. I want to invite you to come and partake of what He has so freely given. I invite you to come trusting Jesus in and for all things. I invite you to come and let His bountiful gift inspire us all to bountifully and freely give even as we have received. If you have never trusted Jesus, trust Him now. Trust Him. And Christians, come to the table. Here's my charge to you. Do not let fear dictate and determine your relationship to God. Reconcile your confessed faith with the reality of your heart and ultimately your actions. If you confess to trust God, then trust Him with all. If you confess to be committed to the work of God, then commit all. The measure you desire God to use with you, use with all others and in everything. If you confess to be a servant of God, then serve Him with your whole heart and know that it is by His grace that you do this and all things. For it is all by grace. May the treasure of who He is become the blinding reality in your life concerning all things. May the grace of the Lord and the peace of the Lord and the love of the Lord guide you and give to you strength to overcome every fear and lack of faith for His glory. Amen.